Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. And in this episode, I will talk about uh, the first part of Between Planets by Heinlein, originally published as Planets in Combat in Blue Book. Um, I don't know why I was thinking that these were all just published by Scribner as juveniles and not previously published in magazines, but I guess I was kind of wrong about that, at least in this case. Um, uh, but that's fine. Um, you know, he's been kind of, all his novels were published like originally in magazines up to this point then. Uh, so anyway, this juvenile, pretty good. I think this particular novel is probably the most mature of the juveniles and one of the best. Um, I think one thing that really saves this book is the fact that the parents are gone. The parental figures are gone. There is no, like, he's got some surrogate parental figures throughout our main character, Don Harvey, another uh, fairly competent, presumably white young man. Um, that's what we get in these juveniles with engineer, scientist parents. You know, it's the same kind of guy. I, I you know, in, in a few... I've already forgotten the names of most of the boys in the in the previous juveniles. Anyway, so uh, I'll remember Don Harvey as long as we're talking about this book, and then I'll probably be replaced with whoever is in the Rolling Stones, which will be the next one we are going to look at. Um, but anyways, wh that's what I like about this one is that the parents are gone. So a lot of the more didactic elements in Heinlein's novels deal with the relationship with parents and and kind of the moral questions that come with that and he's kind of already dealt with that. He's, he's said his piece about that. Um, he's kind of said his piece about education too. We have a um, a young man who's like taken out of school, and it's not like let's let's pack the rocket ship Galileo with calculus books so we can keep up on our studies. It's like no, you you have adult issues to deal with now. So this is very this is the most adult of of his novels, I think. And I think if this was presented as an adult novel, I, I don't think it would have been like poo-pooed as, as, oh, this is very juvenile. I, I think the stakes are very high throughout. Um, the, the tension is real. It's like cosmic in significance. Well, I mean, like planetary in significance, what he's doing. Um, it's it's a young boy mixed up in a war. And, and this is an experience many young people would have had uh, at that time, not so many American kids where war was a little more distant. You might have had a father who served overseas or whatever, but you even lost a family member in the war. But it's not like in Europe where families were being split up. You know, you have this huge refugee crisis, whole, you know, titanic empires going at each other for, for years and years, destroying each other. Um, that's, that's more maybe of European or an Asian experience during World War too, but it's certainly real enough, and it's and it's not far from maybe people's um, minds about what you know what they what a young person might be forced to deal with um, given given war. 
Um, and that's the theme here in this book is, is loyalty. Who are you loyal to? And that's where the title comes from. The title Between Planets is literally Don Harvey. Uh, he is raised mostly on Earth. His parents live on Mars, but he is a Venerian. He's from Venus initially. He was born there, and he has uh, some loyalties to all three of these places. Um, and as war breaks out, where it's basically going to be the colonies, Mars and Venus against Earth, um, then his, you know, the question of is where, his, where is, he, is he loyal? He wants to be between planets. He wants to be a loyal member of the Federation, right? But that's a, a null category when war breaks out, right? This doesn't really count anymore because there is no Federation. You have to choose sides, and he can't just choose his parents' side because he's not, he's not with his parents. His parents are on Mars. He has to um, go where fates take him and choose his loyalties and make his choices based on, on where he's driven to. And I think that makes this a very, very mature and compelling novel. It's, it's one of my favorites. I, I think they keep getting better. I think that's the cool thing about these juveniles. I don't think we've seen kind of a retreat back in quality. I'm sure we will eventually because there's like 12 of these and we got, we got seven more. They can't keep getting better. Um, and I think we might heat in that soon. I, I read Rolling, Rolling Stones before and I don't think it's better than this. Um, I might be wrong, but I, I think there's, we got back a lot of the family drama and the Rolling Stones, which, which I kind of liked having a break from because I thought there was a bit too much of that in Farmer in the Sky, too much of it in Space Cadet, um, too much of it in all, all the others, too much, too much how to deal with your family and your parents and your sisters and that kind of stuff. For my taste, I, I like just this guy being feral from the beginning. Pretty much from the first scene, Don Harvey is, is made feral. So the plot is... He's at school in New Mexico at some kind of boarding school, kind of a very, something we've already seen before, but we don't get much about that. We just, he just gets told, uh, you got a, a interplanetary message from your parents. The parents tell him, you're on the next flight off Earth to go to Mars. Go to the spaceport. Go talk to our friend, your friend, um, and I think it's a professor, whatever his name is, he'll come to me and talk to him and then get on that ship because you need to. And then the question why, well, it's made clear that there are rumors of war. So the headmaster tells him like, yeah, you got to do what your parents say. It's not safe for you. You know, your loyalties will be suspect. Everything's kind of laid out right away at the beginning of the first chapter about why, where the real tension in the, in the plot is going to be. And I think it is fairly well done here. Um, it's, a, it's a very good setup. We really hit the ground running in, in the first uh, pages here. So he goes to visit this, this family friend who, um, and I, he runs into a Venerian at one point, um, a Venerian dragon. So that's going to be an important plot point are these dragons that essentially are just like, they look like dragons, I guess. They're, they're maybe twice the size of humans. The covers have pictures of them, and I don't know how much they fit the description, really. They have various, like, tentacle things. They speak in a, in a, in a whistle. Um, but they take English names that are based on, like, 
people that American or not Americans, but humans that they value. Like our main character calls himself Sir Isaac Newton as his kind of English name. Um, so they have this affinity for like famous scientists and prominent people among the humans, but they're also very different from humans. They, they see themselves as connected in clans based on like the egg. They have really, and I, I think Heinlein is really doing a lot of work here in exploring how these aliens talk to each other. I very much enjoy that part of the story, um, that, that these are, they think, they're not just like the Star Trek aliens, where there's a slight difference and maybe they got some distinct cultural element to them, but that they really think and their language is different. And, and from that language, their whole culture is different, right? This is something we, of course, respect Ursula K. Le Guin for doing in, in um, what's it? What is it? The dispossessed? Uh, yeah, where there are very human speaking, Urus and Uranus, right, or whatever. But the, one of them speaks in this more collective language, uh, non profiteering language, because they're the anarchists and they kind of have transcended property to a certain degree. Um, and language fixed that, uh, uh, affects that. And I think he tries, to, Heinlein tries to do that with the Venerians here, as he's tried to do it before with the Martians in Red Planet. So this one actually maybe has the most in common with the Red Planet of the ones we've read in that it's dealing with the revolution and it's a young man caught in the middle of it. Um, but here, it's not just about getting home to your parents. It's, it's, and the stakes in Red Planet are, seem much smaller, even though they, they turn out to be quite large by the end. But the stakes here um, are not only much bigger, but they're like, there's so much out of his control. There's so much that he's just kind of subject to fate. And I think that's an important lesson for young people to learn. It's like you don't have that much control. What you have to do is make the right decisions based on what's in front of you and what choices you're given. Um, anyways, what one thing that's quite, uh, well, let's get back to the plot anyways. Um, I keep kind of rambling here. Um, he goes to visit this family, uh, friend who's really his parents friend but he's kind of got a casual acquaintance with him and he takes him out for a night in the town and he's really frustrated by this because he's like well I wanted to to see the city on my one night before I leave earth forever um, but the guy's like no no we got important business to do essentially but he's all talking in code because it's pretty clear that they're being followed and there's spy versus spy stuff going on and the heart of this whole conversation is a box a package that his he sent to Harvey at school, um, and he was supposed to take it with him to deliver to his father. And the box never comes. So the question is like, well, will it be forwarded to the hotel? And this professor character is very, very interested in the fate of this box. He thinks it's pretty important. And so Harvey kind of is able to figure out from the language that this box contains something important for perhaps the war effort or perhaps uh, of extreme value. So he, anyways, he kind of figures out he's being drafted for this. And he um, forgets the fact, order these events, but he eventually is taken in and questioned by the police. Um, and they're asking him about his loyalties, about this professor he was meeting with. And eventually they tell him that like the professor had you know, just died while in their custody, um, kind of some kind of heart failure, could have been died, could have you know, been anything. 
um, probably was that he was just murdered or committed suicide. Um, and he's finally told by the police, essentially, like, you just leave. Get on the get on the ship. Go to Mars. We don't want to ever see you again. You know, we don't think you're necessarily sussy yet. Well, we kind of do, but, you know, we don't find anything on you. You know, he's, he's searched. He's interrogated. And they're like, just leave. It's, it's the best thing for all of us is if you just leave the planet. And he's like, yeah, dude, that's what I'm trying to do. So he finally he goes back to his uh, um, room, and eventually he checks into the room, and he's only able to stay there for an hour or so, but the package had come. The package had been forwarded by the school to his hotel, um, and he was able to pick it up. And the package is just a, like a cheap plastic ring uh, with uh, some paper wrapping. And he thinks this paper wrapping must be the secrets. This, this must be what he's supposed to preserve so he writes a letter on it he writes a letter on the paper um but then he's later on investigated by the police again and they take the paper but not the ring and it turns out you know that's a spoiler i guess but it turns out that the ring itself is the thing that everyone is interested in because it contains some you know a physics textbook of some sort that has the knowledge they need to really uh, have a super weapon that can win this war of independence for the colonies. It, it's actually similar to things we've seen in Philip Dick stories where it's like you can kind of encase a city uh, that can protect the city from any external attacks, but it also can freeze off a city from, from anyone else. Um, and I guess in Philip Dick it was they, they shrunk the city down, right, into a bauble or whatever. But here, if you could seal off a city, you could also like starve them out and It'd almost be like dropping a nuclear bomb on them without doing that. You know, it could potentially destroy the city if, you know, kind of like, like what's that Stephen King novel with the, the, that's the dome, like under the dome, kind of that kind of thing. So it has those secrets. Now that get, we don't really learn that till the final chapters of the book. Um, structurally, these juveniles are, are kind of similar in that way. It's like, you know, there's seeds are laid. The first half is really setting up the world and the character much as we do, and then the second half is kind of running to the conclusion of the, of the novel. These are all very, very short, obviously. But anyways, he gets that. He's investigated again. They take the paper with the letter that he was writing as trying to cover up the whatever he thought was the useful information, and he's sent on his way eventually. And I, I think he, he, this is where he, is this where he again meets the Venerian dragon? I think he first met him in a taxi. That's one reason the police were kind of suspicious, suspicious of him because he's talking to a colonial who's from the planet he was born in. It might suggest his loyalties don't fit with Earth. He meets the same guy again on the, the, on the ship, well, on the shuttle to the space station. So they're taking a shuttle to the, the space station and from there go to Mars. That's the plan. Um, but they're on the shuttle, and he gets sick, or Sir Isaac Newton, I mean, the dragon gets sick, and, and he helps translate them. This establishes that Harvey knows Venerian, is able to do the whistles and communicate with them, and, and he needs, like, a bunch of sugar, water to survive some sickness. They give it to him. Um, these dragons seem to be fairly well-respected and not, um, not really the subject of, of antagonism and, like, any kind of racism. I, I think they're seen as like crucial members. Of course, they become problematic once the war starts, but uh, the war hasn't really begun yet. It will in a minute. It will very, very shortly. But at this point, it's still peace. 
So it's tense. It's a tense piece, but it's still peace. So they get to the space station eventually, and the space station is attacked by these Venerian revolutionaries. The war starts. They make the first victory of the war, which is to seize this station. Um, They immediately take all the people loyal to Earth and plan to send them back to Earth. Now, eventually that Earth is a suspect of that ship returning, so they shoot it down, killing all their own citizens. And then they take people loyal to Venus and separate them out. They send everyone else back to Earth. Now, Harvey, of course, is not in a position to prove his Venerian loyalties, which he doesn't really fully have. He claims to have citizenship with Venus, but his citizenship really is with the Federation. And they say, well, you don't really have a grounding to be a Venerian citizen. You're kind of stateless sort of right now. So you got to go back to Earth. And he's like, I don't want to go back to Earth. I'm on my way to Mars. And they're like, dude, you're not, no one's going to Mars. It's either Venus or Earth, and we don't trust you. You don't have citizenship with us, as we understand in the law. So you're going back to Earth. Eventually, that Sir Isaac Newton, the dragon, uh, pulls strings behind the scenes and gets the military commander to give Harvey passage to Venus, which is his only option. And then Harvey's like, again, this is a great moment. A great character moment in the book is where Harvey realizes he's going to have to make do with where fates take him. He's going to have to do the best with what, uh, where he's being sent. And maybe sometime in the future, he can make ways to Mars. It's not going to be today. It's not going to be in the short term. He might have to work. He's not going to have money. He's not going to have access to his parents' resources. Um, He's going to have to make do on his own. So he is forced to make for himself. And I think that is the central theme of this, this book, right, is figuring out your loyalties but also like making your way through what the fates give you. Um, and, I, and I think it's pretty well done here. Um, I don't know. Are we halfway through the book yet? I don't think we're quite halfway through. So uh, I'll, I'll kind of talk about a, a little bit more of the book, I think. Um, yeah, let's just, let's just get him to Venus. I think that's uh, a fine place to, to stop. Um, so we have a few, like a chapter or two on the ship where he has different kind of conversations and discussions on the ship. Again, it, it really boils down to his loyalty and his relationship with Sir Isaac Newton and kind of his anxieties about what he's going to do on Venus to make a name for himself, to, to make money, to survive, to pay his way, and eventually make it to Mars. Uh, when they get to Venus... You know, he's kind of left on his own. There's really not a plan for him, right? So now someone on the ship tells him, why don't you just join the military? Um, The military eventually will go to Mars, and you can just sign along, and you'll see your family. He's a little hesitant to do that because he's not yet fully ready to throw all his chips in with Mars. He still kind of sees himself as a citizen of the Federation. But as we'll see in the next episode, you know, that is what he does. He does join the military. But not the, the Navy, essentially. He, he fights on Venus, largely. Um, did I skip over everything? Oh, how they, they, the plan to win their independence. I didn't talk about that. So essentially, they took over this base, which controls, like, the weaponry defending the planet. And the terrorists, the revolutionaries, whatever you want to call them, the Venerians, 
basically broadcast down to Earth. It's like, we could destroy all your cities now, um, but we're not going to. Instead, we're going to destroy the space, sta- space station, which will make it more difficult for Earth to launch attacks and control Earth and defend itself. They'll be more helpless, but we're not going to be barbarians. We could do this, but I hope you understand you should just give us our independence. It doesn't work. Um, Now, I think there's maybe a message there. I don't know if the right solution would have been to attack Earth cities. We see in Moon is the Harsh Mistress, kind of they have to do that. Um, I mean, violence against Earth cities is the way to get them to listen. The Venerians here don't yet, haven't read that book. So they have to, uh, they, they, they take their chances with kind of this moral suasion argument. Um, but they do destroy this, the base. So that's shutting down another avenue for him to, re, um, return, to Earth, uh, uh, return to Mars. So anyways, he eventually gets to, to Venus. And he, basically all he has is like a little bit of credit from his parents, which doesn't amount to much, his, you know, and this ring which, you know, some people express some interest in. It's not clear how much they see its value or they're just kind of sniffing out its value or um, they're just given the benefit of the doubt. But it it's presents itself as just a cheap piece of essentially plastic, worthless. Um, but what is he going to do for money? He doesn't even have enough money for food. He can't even get his Earth dollars, his Federation script, converted into Venerian currency Uh, the new currency that the Venerians have created because, you know, the best you can do is the black market, which is like he gets 20 cents on the dollar or something. So, you know, with that, he can barely buy his lunch. He can't send a message to his parents. So he's basically forced to to find his way. And I I think that's a good place to kind of leave off. Um, Overall, I really liked uh, this story. I think there's a lot of tension early on with the spy versus spy stuff. You realize there's something going on that that Harvey is being used as a spy by someone, probably his parents in a way, and he doesn't fully know the fate of it. He knows he's kind of a, an unknown courier. That's what we're it's pretty clear from the beginning, but what is he carrying? It, you know, no one really knows. Uh, he thought it was papers. Turns out it's not. Turns out this it's this ring, but you know, there's high stakes. You know, he almost dies a few times in the first half of the novel. His family friend does die, probably suicide, I think we're told at one point. But, you know, maybe he was just killed by the police. He's being tracked down by the police. He's uh, almost sent back to Earth where he would have been destroyed by the Earth military forces themselves, trying to protect themselves. The whole feeling we get here is just of helplessness. And I think Heinlein's point here is really character comes out of how we deal with this. We're not in control of most things in our life. Um, and especially young people have even less control. They don't have financial resources. Uh, they don't have networks. And putting a young man, like the young men he, we've met before, but putting them in a place where they can't rely on anyone. Our characters have always had someone to rely on before. right? Space Cadet, you had the whole Space Patrol. Rocket ship Galileo, you had the, the uncle who's, who's helping them, who gives them guidance throughout it. In Red Planet, you have the family structure, you have uh, friends, you, you, know, you have um, um, 
You have Willis and Gecko and the Martians, right? And you have uh, in Farmer in the Sky, you have the whole family support structure and uh, the new society being built on Ganymede. He doesn't have any of that. He has to like prove his loyalty to Venus before he'll have that support structure. Um, and he, of course, does that. That's the p- second half of the book gets into that. But I think it's really, really amazingly well done here. Um, just this feeling of, of anxiety. I don't think we get that in the other juveniles I've read. I think I'm running out of the juveniles actually read, if we look ahead. I, I did read uh, The Rolling Stones. And like Starship Troopers I've read, but that's not one of the juveniles. I thought I read Between Planets, but I don't remember much of this. Um, maybe I just did a quick read of it um, or an audiobook listen when I was distracted by other things. Um, I have vague memories of the ring stuff. But um, but anyways, um, it's possible I didn't really read it. I just like um, read part of it. I'm thinking that's maybe what happened. But Rolling Stones I definitely did read, and I have a, a, a distinct memory of that book. But I think the rest I haven't read, so we're going to see where they go. Um, but there hasn't been too many misses. Uh, it's been a strong set of novels, certainly. Um, so anyways, in the next episode, I'll finish up my thoughts on... Uh, between planets and see how this the story wraps up it's pretty clear how it i kind of already set up a lot of a lot of how it's going to wrap up anyways um but we'll see thematically what there's some cool things that that take place in the second half of the book so i'll uh, share that with you share my thoughts with the rest of the book next time so anyways that's it for now thanks for listening (laughs) 